Now, if you're new with us, today we're in part four of our Imagine series. And in this series, we're exploring the big vision that God has given us over the next several years in the life of our church. And if you're new and if you haven't picked up one of our Imagine folders, they're at the back of each seating section. And inside these folders, you'll find our brochure, which tells you the history of our church and the vision of our church. You'll find a card that has a prayer guide on it and some key dates for you to know in this series. You'll find an intention card and other great information. Make sure you pick that up before you leave today if you haven't received that. And if you're new, you need to know that in this series, I am primarily speaking to our church family. If you're new, I'm glad you're here. But through this series, we're talking about some big opportunities that we as a church family have to take steps in the direction of dreams that we've talked about for the past 14 years. So I'm glad you're here to hear that and understand the heartbeat of our church and the heartbeat of our God um, but you just need to know that I'm primarily speaking to our church family. If you aren't a Christ follower yet, and you're just here kind of exploring things of faith, I'm glad you're here. And what you're going to hear today and part of the message is you're going to hear Jesus' core message to all of us. And I guarantee you it's a different message than one that we've been taught by religious leaders today. So I'm glad you're here for that, to, to hear the clarity that Jesus is going to bring to us for that. So in a summary of fashion, let's go back to week number one of our series. In week number one, we explored Ephesians 3.20, which says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask, think, or imagine. So God wants to do more in us and through us. And then in week two, we explored what it looks like for us to pursue our community, the way that God is pursuing us. And I asked you to turn in these cards called Imagine Three Cards. I asked you to write the names of three people that you are praying for throughout this series and uh, turn that in so that we as our elders, our prayer team, and our staff could be praying with you for them. And you have turned in now 781 names that we are praying for. So there's a whole lot of people we're praying for. And one of the things we're praying for is for you to take opportunities to engage spiritual conversations with these people, to look for opportunities to serve them and help them take a next step towards or with God. So thanks for turning these in. We'll keep praying. There's more cards in the back of each seating section. If you want to fill one in, fill one out and turn that in today. And we'll add that to our list. Last week, we talked about serving our community and we learned that serving requires humility, sacrifice, and generosity. And I told you, those are all things that I struggle with. But we learned last week that our God is an extremely generous God, and he wants us to be generous just like he is. And so we looked at some steps that can help us called a pathway to generosity, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Now, today we're going to explore initiative number three for us, or priority number three in our imagined vision, and that is teaching people how to live in a life-changing relationship with Jesus and building our permanent church home so we can serve our community better. Now, as we get into this today, I'm curious to know who our teachers are. So if you have been a teacher or you currently are a teacher, would you raise your hand up nice and high? Hold your hand up proudly. All right, let's all look around for just a second at our teachers and thank our teachers. So we all know that we would not be where we are today without our teachers, right? 
So we are where we are because of what we've learned and because of what we've been taught. And we aren't some places that we could been, could be possibly because of things that we didn't learn, that we should have learned from our teachers. So teachers, we are so grateful for you. You are the unsung heroes of our world. You don't get the recognition that you deserve, and you certainly don't get the pay that you deserve. So if you are a teacher, I, I want you to go tell your boss next time you see them that a bald pastor thinks you should get a raise. I don't know if it'll help, but maybe it will. We'll see. But teachers, thank you for doing what you do. Now, the cool thing about education today is we can be in-person teachers or online teachers. So we can learn in a lot of different contexts. Has anybody learned anything from YouTube recently? Anybody? Okay. So a few of us. So every once in a while, I'm stumbling on a project that I'm trying to figure out how to finish and, and I'm not sure what to do. And, and maybe you're like me in those moments. Like, let's turn to YouTube because there's got to be somebody out there who's done this before. And so recently I was trying to figure out a project. And so I jumped on YouTube and I was watching this video and this guy was explaining how to do this project. And I thought, wow, he seems like he knows what he's talking about. This seems great. And then I watched another video. And basically the second guy in the second video said, don't do what the first guy says because he's wrong and you'll mess it all up. And so I'm at a dilemma, like, what do I do? I've got two different teachers telling me two different things. I'm not sure what to do. So I tried both of them. And I found out that one guy was really wrong and one guy was really right. So not only is teaching important, but teaching correct information is really important. And that was the dilemma that Jesus found himself in when he came to planet Earth 2,000 years ago. When Jesus came to planet Earth to teach us how to live in a life-changing relationship with him and his heavenly father, he found that religious leaders of his day were teaching wrong things about how to have a relationship with God. Jesus said the stuff that they were teaching was so dangerous, they were sending people to hell. That's a big statement from Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said to some religious leaders in Matthew 23, verse 15. He confronted some religious leaders and he said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Those are some hard words from Jesus. In Matthew 23, he has a laundry list of very difficult statements that he makes to religious leaders and he calls them hypocrites over and over again because of what they were teaching. So here's what those religious leaders were teaching. They taught that a relationship with God is based on rules and regulations. You maybe have heard that before. But for them, what they did was they took God's 10 commandments and other commandments found in the Old Testament and they put them together in a list and they came up with 613 laws that people had to follow to be in a right relationship with God. I struggle with 10 commandments. Anybody else struggle with 10 commandments? I struggle with the two great commandments that Jesus gave, much less 613 laws that we're supposed to follow. And those religious leaders taught that if you follow all of these 613 laws like we do, then you can be right with God as well. But if you don't live up to our standard, you're probably not going to be right with God. Then Jesus came along and he corrected their wrong teaching. Matthew 22 tells us 
that the religious leaders were upset about what Jesus was teaching. And so they sent some leaders to try and trap Jesus to say something, to, for him to say something that they could use against him. And in verse 36, it says, one of those leaders asked Jesus, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So again, put that in the context of 613 laws. So Jesus responded in verse 37, and he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 40, Jesus said, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Look at how Jesus put those two commandments together. He said, loving God and loving people are equally important. So if you're a Christ follower, you cannot say, I love God, but I hate people. You can't do that. And, and we can't say, hey, I love people, but I don't love God. Like those two things don't go together. Like having a real relationship with God is based on loving God and loving people. And Jesus says, Listen, you don't have to follow 613 laws to have a relationship with God. What do you need to do? Focus on two things, love God and love people. That's what our relationship with God is based on. And then Jesus came along in John 14 and he gave more clarity to that, how we start a relationship with God. And he said in John 14, six, he said, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And statements like that made the religious leaders furious with Jesus because he was making himself equal with God the Father. They, they called that blasphemy. And so that's in part why they hated him and why they had him crucified. But what Jesus taught stood in direct contrast to what the religious leaders of his day taught. You would think after 2,000 years of us following Jesus and understanding this in a better context, you would think that religious leaders today would be doing a better job of teaching and living what Jesus taught. But sadly, many religious leaders today still make a relationship with God about rules and regulations. Far too many people in my profession teach that we must have perfect church attendance. We must wear the right kind of clothes to church. We must know the, the right Bible store, stories. We must take communion every time we're in church. We need to know when we should sit, kneel, or stand in a service if we're going to be right with God. And some religious leaders actually teach that if we do things like that, it doesn't matter what else we do in our lives. We can live any way we want as long as we're checking off the right religious boxes. Like We don't really have to love people as long as we're checking off religious boxes. But that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus gathered his followers together. He gathered people all over the place, in small groups, in large groups, in the countryside, in the temple, and he taught them, here's how you have a right relationship with God, is you gotta learn to love God, you gotta learn to love people, and you have to have a relationship with me. You have to understand what I have done on the cross for you. You have to put your faith and trust in me as your personal Lord and Savior. So what Jesus was saying is God wants a real relationship with us, a real relationship like we'd have with somebody that we love in our lives, not a menu relationship where we check off boxes like we're ordering lunch and think that we're right with God. That's not what a relationship with God is all about. So if we're going to teach people 
about God, we need to teach people the truth of God. And here's what teaching requires. Teaching requires truth. It requires that we teach truth and we teach it accurately. And here's why that is so important. George Barna, a research specialist, did a survey this past year and this, the survey is called American Worldview Inventory. I encourage you to look it up on your own later today. And here's what he found. He found that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. I don't know if that's shocking to you or not, but that's shocking to me. It should be shocking to all of us. 94% of Americans don't see the world the way that Jesus does. That's shocking. Here's another shocking statistic. Barna also found that 37% of American pastors have a biblical worldview. So a majority of American pastors don't see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. That means they don't teach what Jesus has taught. Like that's a big issue, big statement. There is a large percentage of pastors who don't believe that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. There are a large number of pastors that don't believe that God has a standard for morality. There are a large number of pastors that don't believe that absolute truth exists. So if we wonder like why our world is in such crisis today, it's in crisis in part because of what we're not being taught from God's word. So again, teaching requires truth. And if we're gonna teach people about God, we need to teach people the truth of God. Now, I want you to, to watch the story of one of our church members and how his life has been changed and his family has been changed because we work really hard here to teach God's truth. So listen to Scott's story. It's very personal for me how Epic has changed my life for the better. I was in a really bad place. I'd lost my mom, I was going through a divorce. My best friend had just lost his wife. I know it's gonna sound like a country song, all this bad stuff, but I just moved out trying to deal with custody with my two boys and working out, you know, the co-parenting situation. And I was, I was at a point where I was broken. I'd been attending church. I didn't grow up in church, but I'd been attending for a couple years, but I was that guy that would show up on Sundays, but would listen, but wouldn't hear. I was at the point where I was on my back. I'd been going to counseling with Trent, and he's like, have you ever heard of Celebrate Recovery? I hadn't at that point, and he's like, well, why don't you go home, Google search it, and take a look and see what it's about. So it's this program, and it's about your hurts, habits, and hangups, and they met here in Flagler County on Friday night. I'm like, you know what? I really want something different for me and for my boys, so I'll, I'll give this a shot. I was scared. You know, I, I didn't know anyone. I was walking in. It's kind of like a church on a Friday night. Um, there's a message. It happened to be testimony night, and they play some songs, and I'll never forget this moment. There's a song, it's called Clean by Natalie Grant. The words to the song really resonated with me. The opening, it says, I see shattered, you see whole. I see broken, but you see beautiful. And you're helping me to believe, you're restoring me piece by piece. At that moment watching the video, I, I realized for the first time in my life what Jesus had done for us. The Imagine campaign, pursue, serve, and teach. Celebrate recovery story I shared, that was my pursuit. I did the 18 months of the program. After that, I started serving. And you know, I'm part of the lifeguard team that gives me an opportunity just to greet and you know to talk to people, but also my boys get to see what it's like for their father to serve. I'm proud to be a part of the Epic family and excited to be part of this campaign. 
what we'll be able to do for our children, for our children's ministry. It's gonna be, I think, even better when we have our own space. Multiple classrooms, because I see what the effect that it's had on my boys. They love coming to church. You know, they love the music, they love the games. You know, but then the material that they bring home, you know, on, on the drive home from church, I'll say, hey, what did you learn? They're engaging and they can actually repeat and um, are retaining some of the info and, and they just feel loved. That's probably the most critical element, I think, is they feel safe, they feel loved and excited about going. I've wanted more for my boys than I had, and I had a great childhood. I see different doors opening for them, and Epic has given me this opportunity to learn how to be a Christian father. That's something that I didn't realize how impactful that would be to me. You know, when I think of this campaign and I think of the word imagine, I think of what my mind goes to, and I've seen some, some renderings of the building and these open spaces, and what I'm imagining is kids running around, maybe Matt playing some music. You know, a barbecue like this community not not a church not like you know sitting in the pews this real life interaction with our church family at a new home the people that might be listening now or someone in the audience is like hey this church seems legit and invite some friends and then they come next week so i'm excited about the people that are here right now but i'm as excited about the people that aren't a part of epic yet but will be You know, I'm so proud of Scott for sharing his story. And it's been an honor to watch God work in his life over the past few years that I've known him. It's just been so neat to watch him grow spiritually. And hear how, here's how Scott has grown spiritually. He's learned a little truth, and he's applied that truth. And then he's learned a little more, and he's applied a little more. Like, that's how we grow spiritually. It's when we apply the truth that we know. And a question that all of us should ask is, am I applying the truth that I know if I'm a Christ follower? And often what happens is we know this much and we apply this much. That's not good. We need to apply the truth that we know. Sometimes I'm really great at applying the truth that I know. And other times I'm not so great. And you would see me and you would wonder, why is he a pastor? Like he's not applying the truth that he knows. So again, it's about applying God's truth, and that's when we see spiritual growth and transformation in our lives. And I'm so proud of Scott for the growth that's happened in his life. Now, in our imagined vision, God is calling us to teach people how to live in a life-changing relationship with Jesus and build our permanent church home so we can serve our community better. And we plan on doing that in three steps. So here are those three steps. So we plan on leading 1,500 people to Jesus by the time our building is finished. We plan on helping 1,000 people take a next step towards or with God. And then we plan on securing the necessary funds to build our permanent church home. And we're going to take a closer look at each one of those things. So step number one, we want to lead 1,500 people to Jesus by the time our building is finished. Well, over the past 14 years, we've seen at least 966 people put their faith and trust in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. That is phenomenal. That's 14 years of, of effort and work of pursuing our community. And we've reached about 1,000. Well, over the next few years, we want to reach another 500 plus people. So that means we have to get more assertive in how we learn to share our faith and then 
sharing our faith. And so we want to continue to be crystal clear on Sundays what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We want to teach more people in our growth groups how to to learn evangelism and to share their own faith. And then we want to take more opportunities locally, nationally, and internationally to share faith with people around us who desperately need to have a relationship with Jesus. So that's, again, step number one. Step number two, we want to help a thousand people take a next step towards or with God. And if you look back at Scott's story, you'll see that Scott took a lot of steps. And if you look at your own life, if you have a relationship with God, you'll notice that you've taken a lot of steps. Even if you're on a journey towards God, I'm sure there's a lot of steps that you have taken. And we want to help people take those steps. So that could be anything from attending church in a middle school in Flagler County. How crazy is that? And for some people, that's a huge obstacle. Um, For other people, it's taking that step of salvation, of putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. For others, it's following that up through baptism or maybe getting into one of our starting point small groups or one of our growth groups or getting into a community group or getting active and serving. There are all kinds of steps that we can take to grow in our relationship with God, and we want to help at least 1,000 people take their next step in the next several years. And then step number three, is to secure the necessary funds to build our permanent church home so we can serve thousands of more people in our community. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to sound like a total contradiction, okay? So I get that, but it's going to sound like a contradiction. Here it is. We don't need a church building to reach people for Jesus. We don't. We've proved that over the past 14 years. But having our own church home can help us reach thousands of more people than we can reach without a church home. And here's how. So having a church home can help us look like permanent members of Flagler County. Now, I know that's a weird way to say that. Uh, But for some people, when they find out that we meet in a school, they're like, well, when are you going to be like a real church When are you going to grow up and be a real church? There are a number of people in our county who will not come to a middle school for church. And I'm just curious, of those that are here, when you found out that we're meeting in a middle school, how many of you paused for just a second and went, ah, what? I don't know if I want to do that. Hold your hand up. So there's a number of folks that are here. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for overcoming that obstacle. Thank you to everybody else who overcame that obstacle to be here. But there are a number of folks that think we're like a gypsy church. Uh, You know, we're going to be gone tomorrow when the next hurricane comes around because we meet in a school. So having our own church home will give us a physical presence in our community and help our community know where we are. So here's another way that having a church home can help us. It can give us more stability and control. So we are renters in this school system, and we have rented here for 11 years. And as renters, we're in a unique spot. We're at the mercy of our school system, and we have a great relationship with our school system. God has given us much favor with our school system. But when a hurricane rolls through, we could be asked to step out. And that has happened for us when a hurricane has come through. When a health issue like COVID comes along, we could be asked to be out. And that happened about three and a half years ago. We were out of the school for four months. And we had to get real creative in how we do ministry. So having our own building will give us more control of how we meet, when we meet, in the ministries that we provide to our community. 
And then thirdly, having a church home will help us serve our community in bigger ways. So we are limited in the amount of ministry that we can do to our community in rental facilities. Having our own space will give us more space and more freedom in the way that we engage ministry in our community. Now, anybody interested in the real reason why a, a church home can help us reach more people for Christ? Anybody? Okay, one person up front is ready for that. Okay, so here we go. Take a look at this. Okay. So uh, the past two months, we have had 15 different vision meetings where we've gathered hundreds of our church family in small gatherings to explain the vision. And 13 out of the 15 vision meetings said, uh, you need to build because we hate those seats. <laughs> we need different seats. So imagine what it would be like to sit on seats like this. Oh, man, like... Isn't that super exciting? Wow. Like, look at the cushion there, you know, on your backside and your back. Like, wow, phenomenal. You could probably listen to me preach for hours, right? Okay, maybe not, but maybe those seats would make my preaching sound a little better. I'm not sure. But we actually thought about, what if we just sell seats? We could, we could raise enough money, probably more money than we need for our building if we just sold seats. Thanks for laughing. It's all just a joke. You know, the seats aren't that big a deal. And I appreciate the applause. And I hope you'll applause later when we talk about the big vision that God has given us. Now, I told you over the past few weeks that our financial goal for our imagined vision is to raise $8.4 million. We want to raise $8.4 million over the next two years. And I know that's a whole lot of money, but here's the breakdown of that. We want to raise 3.4 and 3.4 of that will go to operational expenses plus expanded ministry. And then 5 million of that 8.4 will go towards building phase one of our building. So again, I know that's a whole lot of money, but understand this. God is not asking you or me to personally write a check for $8.4 million. Aren't you glad? If you can write a check, I would love to meet you after the service. So God's not asking any one of us individually to do that. God's asking us as a church family to come together and collectively give so that we can reach this goal and not just reach this goal, but surpass this goal. Now, has anybody been to, to Lowe's or Home Depot recently? Anybody walked out of the store looking at your receipt going like, wait a minute. Like, I think that's more expensive than it used to be. So we all understand that construction costs have gone up. In commercial construction world, costs have almost doubled. So what was built four years ago now costs almost twice as much. That's a reality of building costs right now. Now they're leveling off, which we're grateful for, and we hope that they continue to come down. But the costs for building right now are more significant than they were just a few years ago. So with that said, here's the cost of phase one for our building. So phase one is gonna cost between 10 and $11 million. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. Okay, that's, a, that's more money than the 8.4. So you might be wondering, how does the 8.4 fit into that? Well, again, 3.4 will go to regular operational expenses and expanding ministry, 5 million will go towards building phase one, and that leaves us with a five to six million dollar gap. That means either we wait until we have the money to build or we take out a loan. So that's the options that we'd be looking at at that moment. Over the past 14 years, 
We've never had debt as a church. 14 years, no debt. We don't want to start now with debt. So here's what I'm asking. I'm asking God to do more than we can imagine. So I can uh, think that God can do a certain level, but God wants to do more than that, more than we can imagine. So here's what I'm asking. I'm asking God to help us raise at least $14.4 million dollars. And you might say, well, you've lost too many brain cells from shaving your head, and that's why you're thinking that. Like, I get that. If you, if you feel that way, I totally understand. But we serve a big God. And he says for us to ask big things of him. God's not intimidated by $14.4 million. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I'm just asking for him to slaughter a few of them so that we can build a building. And we can build a building debt-free. So that's what 14.4 will do. It'll help us expand ministry to our community and have no debt with our building. So that's what I'm asking God to do. And I ask you to join me in asking God for that. Now, here's a second statement from me that's going to sound contradictory, okay? We don't want debt, but we are open to a manageable amount of debt if it will help us advance ministry and not hurt ministry. I know that sounds like a contradiction to what I just said, but hear me out. So we all know that there's a difference between owning and renting. So if you own your home, that feels different than renting a home. And when you rent a home, where does your rental money go to? It goes to someone else and you don't have anything that goes back to you to the investment that you've made. If you own a home, the improvements that you make to your home are an investment that go back to you. So that's a similar concept for us renting and for us owning our own home, so owning our own building. So as renters, we pay about $100,000 a year between renting Buddy Taylor Middle School and our offices. And that might surprise some of you, that might be high for some of you, that might be low for some of you, but that's, that's about what we pay. So if we can convert a rent payment to a manageable mortgage payment and it not hurt ministry, we are open to prayerfully considering that. That's not our preference, but we're open to prayerfully considering that and our elders take this very seriously. We're not excited about taking on debt and so we walk this path very slowly and prayerfully asking God what he wants to do at every step of the way, and that's something that we're open to prayerfully considering if that's what we're looking at. Now, I want you to understand this as well. At Epic, we believe that leaders should go first, and so our elders and our staff have already turned in our commitments of what we intend to give to our imagined vision over the next two years, and here's what that number is. So we've committed to give $532,176.35. So that's our elders and our staff. We're in. We're excited. We're willing to sacrifice in big ways to, to get to this goal. And I don't know where 35 cents comes from, <laughs> but I want you to know that 35 cents is just as important as that 500,000. Why? Because it all goes together. Because cents make dollars. And it all goes together to help us reach that goal. So our leaders at Epic are in. And we invite those of you who call Epic home to join us in meeting and exceeding our financial goal. And here's how we can do that together. 
on October 15th, just two weeks away, we're going to have the biggest Sunday in our church in a very long time, probably to, the point, to this point in the life of our church. It's going to be a landmark Sunday where we as a church family come together and turn in our intention cards of what we intend to give over the next several years and tell God, God, we're in. We're in for the vision you've given us of pursuing and serving and teaching more people in our community so more people can come into that life-changing relationship with you. We're all in for that. So if you are part of our church family, if this is the place you come for spiritual nourishment on a regular basis, then I encourage you to be here on October 15th. Don't, don't miss it. Don't sleep in that day. Like, I challenge you to be here. I double-dog dare you to be here as a church family. This is an opportunity for us to do some things that we've dreamed about for the past several years. It's an opportunity for us to come together as a church family and say, God, we're in. And again, if you're new with us, I hope you'll be there on that Sunday, but we're not asking anything from you that day. That's an opportunity for you to watch Epic in action and see how serious we are about reaching people for Christ. Now, on your seat is an intention card. So there's, there's one around you. I encourage you to grab that for just a second. And I'm going to explain how to fill one of these things out. And I'm going to explain why we're going to use these. So let me start with that. Let me explain why we're using intention cards. So we use intention cards because they help us grow spiritually. So when Tammy and I sat down and, and started discussing and praying and talking about what God might want us to give, and we started having deep conversations with God, deep conversations with each other, it was a spiritual process of, of us learning to hear from God and what he was saying to us. And then when we put it in print and, and wrote down and said, God, this is what I think we're hearing you say to us. And then we signed our names. It was like official. God, this is what you've said, so this is what we're turning into our finance uh, director. So this is an opportunity for us to grow spiritually when we use these intention cards. Here's a second reason we're using them, because it gives us a good idea of what we can or cannot do. So after we do this on October 15th, on November 5th, we'll have Celebration Sunday and celebrate what God is doing in us as a church family. And that number of what we commit to give over the next several years will tell us what we can do or what we can't do. It'll tell us whether we can go down the road towards the vision that God's given us and go past it, or if we need to gear back a little bit from that vision, it'll just give us a really good idea of how far down that road we can go. So that's another reason we use intention cards. And here's the last reason we use intention cards because it shows what we intend to give, not what we are indebted to give, okay? So on the front, it says intention card. These are exactly that. This is an intention card, not a 30-year mortgage contract, okay? So when you walk through this process and you sense God leading you to give a certain amount, you write that, that number down, you put your name and your contact information, why? So our finance director can reach out to you for tax purposes. Nobody else knows what, you, what you're giving. I don't know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. That's between you and God, not between you and me. But we don't know what's going to happen over the next year or the next two years. So you might face an obstacle over these next few years that makes your life really challenging financially. And if that happens, you might have to adjust your giving down. If so, don't feel any pressure or guilt from that. That's between you and God and what you do in those moments. But God might bless you over the next few years, where you might be able to give more than you thought you could. And if you're in that spot, that's, again, between you and God. So again, this is an intention card, not specifically a, 
a contract that you are signing. So that's why we use these things. So let me explain how to fill one of these out. And again, on the back side of your card, you'll see some different boxes that I'm gonna explain here real quick. The top box says what I or we normally give in a year. Second box says uh, my or our expanded annual financial gift for Imagine. And then you'd add those two uh, categories together and then you'd multiply that by two years, the length of our Imagine vision. And then that would be your new normal for what you would give in that context. And then our stored gift spot here. So it says plus our stored gift. So a stored gift could be anything like uh, you have something you've been saving for and God says, hey, I want you to give that money from what you've been saving towards that. Or you have something you're not using and you could sell like maybe you you've got a, a boat or a car or something you're not using, you could sell that. Or, or maybe God's saying, hey, I want you to give some of your tax return when it comes this next year. That, that could be any number of things. It's the resources we have access to that could fit into that stored gifts category. Then we would add that all up, and that would be the amount, our total gift that we would give to Imagine over the next two years. So that's what that looks like. Now let me give you three examples of what it could look like for you to fill one out. So here's example number one. Let's say you've never given to a church before, you've never given to Epic before. So you don't give anything in a year. So you'd put zero in that top column and you felt like in the second column, God wants you to give $500 over the next uh, years, over the next year and expand that. So you'd add those together, that's 500. You'd multiply that by two years. That's $1,000, that would be your new giving over two year time frame. And then let's say God said something like, hey, I want you to get $500 from your tax return that's coming in, in the spring. So you'd write $500 there, you add that together, that's $1,500, your total uh, commitment that you would give, what you intend to give over the next few years. So here's example two. Let's say that you typically give $1,000 and you feel like God wants you to expand that by giving 500 more. So you'd add those together, that's $1,500. You'd multiply that by two years, that's $3,000. And let's say God asks you to, to sell something that you have and give that, and it's worth about $1,000. You'd add that together, and that's $4,000 that you would give over the next two years. Example two. So here's example three. Let's say you give $5,000 normally, and God's asking you to stretch and give $2,000 more. So you'd add those together. That's $7,000 of what you typically or would be giving in a year. Multiply that by two years. That's $14,000. And let's say God says something out of your stored gifts that equals $2,000. You'd add that together. That's $16,000. So that's just three examples of what it could look like. Now, these numbers may be way high for you. They may be way low for you. I don't know what your financial numbers are. You do. So this is, again, a conversation that we want you to have with God and figure out what God is saying to you as our church family. On your seat is another card that says how to decide what to give. Last week, I walked you through the six steps that my wife Tammy and I have taken to get to the spot of giving what, what God has led us to give over the next two years. So I encourage you to take this home and if you'll just work through the process, these steps on this card, I know God will guide you and then take your intention card home and then you can bring your intention card back on October 15th. And again, that's the opportunity for our church family to turn that in together. If you're watching online and you're part of our church family, there's a digital version of our intention card online so you can fill that out there. Now, I know I have thrown a whole lot at you today, just like I did last week. So let me summarize what we've learned together today. So we've learned that Jesus is the only way to eternal life, and everyone needs to hear that. Everyone needs to know that. 
We've learned that people need to know that a relationship with God is based on loving God, loving people, and putting our faith in Jesus. It's not about rules and regulations that so many religious leaders talk about. It's about having a real relationship with God. And then we've learned that building our church home can help us pursue, serve, and teach our community about God and reach more people for him. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to give you some very personal information about my spiritual growth when it comes to generosity. So I'm going to walk you through uh, the journey that God has taken me on for me to grow in generosity. And there are some bumpy parts to my generosity road, and they might surprise some of you. So I encourage you to be here next week to hear that. Now, I'm going to pray in just a minute, and our worship team is going to close us in a song you may be familiar with or you may not be familiar with. It's called The Truth. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus is the truth that everyone needs to hear about. And so um, I, I just challenge you, as you're listening to this song, just think about the many opportunities that you have in our community to teach people about Jesus with your life, how you live, and your words. And I pray that you would get the boldness to not only live a Christ-like life in front of people, but you would take the boldness to share how people can come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to pray together, then we're going to sing. Jesus, we are so grateful that 2,000 years ago, you came to planet Earth. You became God in the flesh to correct what many of the religious leaders were teaching that was wrong. We were teaching a relationship with you is based on rules and regulations. And then you came along and corrected that and said, no, it's about two things, about loving God. It's about loving people. And then Jesus, you showed us how to do that, how to start a relationship with, with God through dying on the cross to pay for our sins. Lord, so many people today around us think that a relationship with you is about doing right things. It's about checking off boxes, but that's not what it's about. It's about believing in what you've done on the cross for us. It's about learning how to live in response to that by loving God and loving other people around us every day. So Lord, teach us how to do that. And open our eyes to the many opportunities that we have to help people around us take a next step towards you. Lord, give us the boldness to live a Christ-like life in front of people. Give us the boldness and fill our mouths with the words that we need to share that'll help somebody wrestle with you in your direction. Thanks for being the truth that we can know. In Jesus' name, amen.